There's nothing wrong with Tucker interviewing Putin. It's called journalism. Whether you call it institutional neutrality or restraint, the Calvin Report is the best way forward. And what would Frederick Douglass say to 21st century parents? Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit this podcast's episode description. Dear Friends of Fair, this week, Fair will host an intimate gathering in New York City to highlight the importance of free expression and open inquiry in American institutions. We are thrilled that we will be joined by Fair Board of Advisors Nadine Strassen and Michael Schellenberger. We will also hear from two plaintiffs in Fair-backed litigation, Zach DePiero and Tabia Lee, both of whom who have filed lawsuits against their former academic employers for free speech and discrimination claims. Finally, we will also be joined by Fair Fellow Sahar Tartak, current sophomore at Yale University and outspoken supporter of viewpoint diversity on campus. The event will take place on Thursday, February 22nd from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. A few spots remain for this exciting event. Warmly, the team at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. For public, Fair advisor Zed Jelani wrote about why nobody should ever apologize for interviewing a newsworthy personality. He writes, Putin is one of the planet's most influential people, a world leader who is engaged on one side of a conflict that the U.S. has spent billions of dollars in. If anything, more journalists should be trying to interview Putin and other world leaders who are on the other side of us on major issues. Americans need to be able to consider the views of countries besides our own, even if we have little to nothing in common. And despite today's media climate, where so many pundits think it's anathema to meet with an antagonist foreign leader, Carlson's interview with Putin sits neatly in the American tradition of interviewing adversaries. For FIRE's news desk, FAIR's chairman of the board, Angel Eduardo, wrote about why universities should refrain from taking political positions. Eduardo states, Whether you call it neutrality or restraint, the point and the best way forward is for our institutions of higher learning to adhere to the Calvin Report's call to avoid the push and pull of particular political and social commitments. Universities have grown too accustomed to putting out political statements, a habit whose costs many schools are now recognizing. From now on, the starting point should be guided by institutional neutrality, which will allow universities to return to their core mission of facilitating debate rather than engaging in it. For The Hill, Fair and Medicine fellow Dr. Aida Sarundalo wrote about how reclaiming one's biological gender after a gender transition is so taboo that there is no way to document it in a medical record with an official diagnosis code. Sarindolo writes, The assumption that gender incongruence is always the cause of gender dysphoria leaves no room for the possibility that some patients may have other psychological stressors contributing to their mental distress, leading them to inappropriate gender transition and resulting in future detransition. Acceptance of detransition flips the concept of immediate gender affirmation on its head. Medicine should swallow the truth by acknowledging gender detransition in our healthcare system. We hope the APA and AAP will recognize the neglected cohort of patients and agree that safe medicine must always be a priority, regardless of gender identity. For the Free Press, Coleman Hughes wrote about how the rise of a new race consciousness has turned elite American institutions into neo-racist strongholds. Hughes states, 
At this moment in American history, we have a choice. We can follow neo-racists down the path of endless racial strife, or we can recommit ourselves to the principles that motivated the civil rights movement, and not just the civil rights movement, but also the abolitionist movement and other movements around the world that oppose unjust discrimination. Those principles include a belief in our common humanity, the idea that what it takes for human beings to flourish has nothing essential to do with our skin color or ancestry or any of the other traits that people have used throughout history to divide themselves. For the Harvard Crimson, Randall L. Kennedy wrote about why a culture that defends even odious expression benefits minority communities that depend upon protest to make their presence and preferences seen and heard. Kennedy states, As new attempts at suppression rear their head today, we must remember that tragic experience and subsequent iterations of ideological and intellectual tyranny. Racial justice activists ought to use those acts of censorship as rallying points to resist all undue encroachments upon freedom of speech, listening, teaching, and learning, because free expression helps, rather than hurts, the fight for racial justice. For Washington Monthly, Dr. Sally Sattel wrote about why a new volume from the publishing arm of the American Psychiatric Association on gender-affirming care illustrates the problem when ideology trumps science. Alas, this volume, she states, is another instance of activism intruding into psychology and medicine writ large. Perhaps the most well-known example of the social justice trend was using racial categories to determine the distribution of life-saving COVID-19 treatments. On the psychotherapy front, many counselor education programs are teaching trainees to see patients less as individuals with unique needs and personalities, but as avatars of their gender, race, and ethnicity. White patients, for instance, are told that their distress stems from their subjugation of others, while Black and minority patients are told that their problems flow from being oppressed. It is especially troubling to see social justice ideology intrude in an area as high stakes as the treatment of young people with gender dysphoria. Casey Lartigue Jr. is co-editor of Educational Freedom in Urban America, Brown vs. Board of Education After Half a Century, and co-author with Song Mi Han of her memoir, Green Light to Freedom. He was a member of the Board of Trustees on the Frederick Douglass Memorial and Historical Association from 2004 to 2015. He is now chairman of Freedom Speakers International in South Korea, a nonprofit that has empowered 600 North Korean refugees with English, public speaking, and career development. He has written this essay for FAIR in commemoration of the 206th birthday of Frederick Douglass. Casey is appearing at a FAIR in Education online event on February 26, 2024 at 4 p.m. Eastern, and it's titled, What Would Frederick Douglass Say to 21st Century Parents? You can register for this event with the link in the description. The Richard Bilkso Award and Scholarship are now accepting applications. The Richard Bilkso Award of $500 will recognize an educator who exemplifies the qualities that Richard embodied, a dedication to excellence in education, a commitment to equality of opportunity, and a devotion to his students and their well-being. In a similar vein, the Richard Bilkso Scholarship of $1,000 will be awarded to an undergraduate who is accepted at Teachers College in Ontario and who seeks to further the ideals of freedom of expression, equality of opportunity, fairness and merit principle, and a commitment to excellence in education. You are warmly invited to a special NYC meetup with Clifton Duncan on Thursday, February 22nd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on the Lower East Side. 
Join fellow freethinkers for an exclusive opportunity to meet the Fair and Arts Fellow, Clifton Duncan, actor, writer, and podcaster who is blacklisted for speaking out against groupthink in the entertainment industry and has since merged as one of the most forefront thought leaders in the arts and culture scene. Get your ticket with the link in the description. Join Dissident Dialogues in partnership with Unheard and sponsored by Ground News in New York City on May 3rd and 4th. The world's leading and most original thinkers gather for two days of debate, discussion, and disagreement. Discussions will feature fair advisors Michael Schellenberger and Lee Feng, as well as Richard Dawkins, Ayan Hirsi Ali, John McWhorter, Steven Pinker, Constantine Kisson, Francis Foster, John Verakay, Thomas Chatterton-Williams, Kathleen Stock, Freddie Sayers, Bridget Phetasy, Diana S. Fleischman, Africa Brooke, Alex O'Connor, and Mary Harrington. We want the Fair Substack to be the go-to publication for diverse perspectives on culture and civil rights. Whether you're a seasoned author or an amateur writer with a story that can contribute to our mission of promoting fairness, understanding, and humanity, we would love to receive your stories, opinions, investigations, reviews, interviews, and more. Please send your piece to submissions at fairforall.org. We hope to hear from you. Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories or visit the episode description. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org slash donate.